Good morning, Mountain States. Happy 2019. We are glad to be back off our very rainy vacation. Glad to be back with you guys. We missed you all the past two weeks. Getting to enjoy family, getting to enjoy lots of food. I think I gained the extra 20 pounds. My, my, my uh, story is I gained it all over the past two weeks. Y'all know that's a lie, but that's my story, and I'm sticking with it anyway. We enjoyed uh, spending time with family and brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws and my out- other outlaws and uh, grandparents and getting to enjoy second Christmases and third Christmases with family that are down that we haven't seen for quite a long time. But we missed you guys as well. We missed our church. We missed the fellowship we get here on Sunday mornings. We missed you. But it also gave us time of reflection for 2019. And what does this mean for us in our church? And where does God want us to go as Mountain States Baptist Church in this year? I want to encourage you over the next several weeks, we're going to go on a journey together. We're going to discover some things together. Regardless of what your age is, what your place in life is, or if you're just starting out or you feel like you're on the bottom side of it, your health is perfect or your health is not so perfect, no matter where you are in your life, I'm going to try to challenge you to jump on board with the mission of God. To find your place in God's mission. Well, I'm just a 10-year-old. I'm just a 20-year-old. I'm just a 40-year-old. I'm an 80-year-old. I'm a 90-year-old. It makes no difference. God has given us a mission. He's given us a task. And it's up to us to jump on board with that mission. We all have five different areas in our lives where we have a sphere of influence. Everybody got five fingers, right, in here? Five fingers? Number one, you got your place where you work. You got the place you shop. You got the place you eat. You got the place you play. And the place you live. Right? Five. Yeah, let's leave that up there. Let it go. There we go. Work, eat, play, shop, and live. Five different areas. All right. We'll blame it on Max. Everybody turn around and say, bad, bad boy, Max. Good job, Max. I'm just kidding. It was my fault, the slide. We all have those five areas, right? Where we work, shop, eat, play, and work. Live, rather. Work, shop, eat, play, and live. Work, shop, eat, play, and live. I tried to come up with a, where you put all the letters together and it comes up with a funky word to help you remember it. Only thing I can come up with is plues. <laughs> so we're all going to be about plues this year. Okay, not. It were, pulse. <laughs> we don't have a U in there. You know, P-L-E-W-S. Uh, uh, we'll just go with workshop, eat, pl- <laughs> eat, play, and live. I came up with one one time, and it was some funky word, and I, I said it, and and everybody at the church is going, it wasn't this church. They're going, what is that word? I'm like, I have no idea. I just came up with the word, so you'd remember it. It was something like walks a stinking hatchy. If you're from Texas, you know where that is. Work, shop, eat, play, live. We all, 
live in those areas. We all have those places that we have spheres of influence where God is working in us and through us to be a part of something greater than ourselves. The temptation in our lives is to just live. To just leave me alone, give me my four walls, my front door, and my front door is locked. Because I don't want to see the outside. But we still have to operate in a place where you need a paycheck, where you work. If you're a retiree, you're still working. We all continue to work. God doesn't say you retire from life. You just maybe retire from your current vocation. We're still working. We all have a place where we shop. King Supers, Kohl's, JCPenney, Amazon. We have a place we eat. Look at me, you know I like to eat. Many of us, in here, I, don't, I don't think any of us here would say we don't like to eat. Maybe we don't eat out as much as we would like to, or maybe you eat out more than you'd like to. But we do have people that we run into in those places where we eat. We all like to play, whether it's going hunting or going to an Avs game or going to a Nuggets game or going to the park with your family, going up to the mountains. And we all have a neighborhood we live in. We have a home. We have neighbors. As I've said before, your address is not an accident. God placed you in that home, that condo, that basement for a reason, with those people next to you for a reason. That neighbor across the street who drives you bonkers, God gave them to you. God gave you to them. See, we're all to be about the mission of God. Think about that for a minute. We're going to look at the life of Matthew this morning. In Matthew chapter 9, Matthew's going to retell the story of meeting Jesus for the first time. He's telling his story. He's telling his testimony. And if you know anything about tax collectors at that time, they were some of the most hated people in society. And culture. April 15th is coming up upon us quick, isn't it? And we're all getting ready to meet the tax man. None of us like that time. Unless you're a college student, you still get your refund. None of us like paying taxes. It's like that thing you gotta do, but ugh, I really don't like doing it. We all try to scheme how can we get a refund? How can I work out the numbers to maybe I can get a refund this year instead of paying money? How can I claim more deductions and maybe fix? Yeah, they always seem to come back. And no matter what you try to tweak it, they always get what they're owed, right? Matthew was hated by the people at that time. They hated the fact that Rome was demanding taxes from the Jewish people. So Rome had a tax man that they sent from Rome to Palestine to oversee all the tax collection. But he didn't want to do it himself. So he'd hire local Jews to do it for him. He said, and he would send those Jews out to the different regions, and he gave them charge over a whole city. He said, you collect X number of denarii, or dollars, from this region, from this city, and that's what you have to bring in. Whatever you collect on top of that is for you. So then that tax man would go and hire local guys 
to go and sit in booths and sit at the gates and walk down the streets and go to different shops. And they had to collect X number of dollars every year from the taxes from the people. That was Matthew. Sitting in his booth. The one who actually had to interact with you and I, with the common folk, collecting taxes. And his salary was very minuscule, so whatever he would demand above and beyond what he had to turn in would go into his pocket as well. They literally robbed their own people and bought motorcycles for themselves. They literally robbed their own people to line their pockets. And that's where we come to the story here in Matthew chapter 9 this morning. I'm going to start in verse 1 to give us a backstory, And then we'll get into the text. And in getting into a boat, he, Jesus, crossed over and came into his own, to his own city. And behold, some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given much authority to them. In verse 9, it says, And he passed on from there and saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Here we find the encounter of Jesus with a paralytic, a person who needs to be healed. But even beyond that, the encounter of Jesus with the most hated person in that town. They were hated in many ways more than the Gentiles were. And if you know anything about Jews and Gentiles, they hated the Gentiles. They hated the Samaritans. They hated the tax people more. Jesus spent, he goes into this house. He heals this paralytic, someone who's been paralyzed for we don't know how long. His friends brought him in, laid him on the ground. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That's kind of an odd thing to say when he knows, and everybody knows why people are coming to see Jesus, they want to get their, their problems fixed. They want to be healed. But he says to those who are in questioning, so you may know I have the authority and the power to forgive sins. I also say, rise, get up, take up your bed, and you get out of here. Go home. And then he leaves that house, and he approaches Matthew. Matthew's writing this story. The intersection of his old life and his new life. He's being asked, he's going to be asked here in a second, we're going to read, he's going to be asked in a second to leave his old life behind to join Jesus on a journey. See, we all want to be part of something bigger, don't we? We don't want to just live our lives for 
60, 80, 90, 100 years. My grandmother was 104 years almost when she died. How many of us want to just live our lives for 100 years and then just die and have nothing to show for it? Anybody? We all want to have to be a part of something big. We all want to be part of something great. We join the company where you join the company that you're a part of because they're doing something great. They're making a difference in our community. You join a church because you hope that they're doing something great and wonderful in their community and they're making an impact in people's lives. You get involved in a civic organization because they're doing something above and beyond that we want to be a part of. Maybe you join a political campaign. Because you want to attach yourself to somebody who's going to go and do something great. You follow sports heroes because they're kind of, you want to follow them and kind of become a part of their lives and what's going on vicariously through them. We all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And Jesus is here with Matthew who says, You, leave your tax booth behind, follow me. Leave your old life behind. You follow me. Matthew, I've got something great in store for you. You can become more than you are right now. I've got a mission in this world that we're going to do something great. We're going to do something awesome. We're going to do something so spectacular. But I'm not going to tell you about it yet. And Matthew immediately gets up from behind his booth closes it up, and he leaves to follow this rabbi. He has no idea what's in store. How many of you, when you became a believer, you knew exactly what was in store when you following Christ, right? None of us. I got saved, I became a believer at seven years old because I didn't want to go to hell. I had believed in Jesus for fire insurance. Okay? Later, I became to realize what that really meant and what God was really doing in my life and how much He was wanting to transform me and invite me into His mission to become a part of something greater than myself. And that's our invitation as well. To live our lives and mission in such a way so that no matter where we work, shop, eat, play, or live, we are a part of the mission of God. We're joining Him in that mission. We also want to be a part of something good. None of us want to be a part of something bad. We want to be a part of something good, right? We want to join a good civic organization. We want to follow the, the best sports team, not the Broncos. We want to follow the good or the abs, as I saw Drew's Twitter post this morning. Ah, what's up with them? We want to follow that good team. We want to follow that good boss. We want to have be part of something good to make a difference. And Jesus promised that. He didn't promise to give us details. I mean, what are the details he gives to Matthew here? And Jesus passed from there in verse 9. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said, follow me. That's all. Follow me. And he rose and followed him. I don't see any details there. Matthew didn't know what was going to happen. He simply got up, closed the doors of his tax booth, and he followed this rabbi. Why would this rabbi, this learned man of God, this one, this come up to me, a sinner, and who is despised by my people, and ask me to join him? 
The rabbi should have just not even given the time of day. Should have just walked on from there. What should have happened is, is as Jesus passed on, he walked past Matthew. That's what every other rabbi did. That's what every other spiritual person did. That's what every other good citizen of Palestine did. They saw the tax collector and did this, put on their blinders and walked right on by because they're not really there. I'm not going inter- to interact with that person because do you know what he lives like? Come over to the fence. I'll tell you what's really going on. Get you on the phone, send you a message. Let me tell you how he's really living. But Jesus saw potential. He walks over to Matthew and says, follow me. I've got something great in store. I mean, that was huge. For Jesus to walk up to Matthew and say, come follow me, that was huge. In John chapter 4, Jesus does the same thing with the Samaritan woman. Another woman, another person despised by society, despised by culture. Jesus walks up to her and says, can you give me a drink? Can you give me a drink? She's like, what are you talking to me for? I'm just, I'm a Samaritan, don't you know? Just, Just give me a drink. Let's talk, let's have a chat. Jesus looks at these people that we, as society, as culture, say, no, they're not worth our time, and Jesus took time for them. And invited them on to become part of his mission. Maybe you say, well, the pastor, that's your job. That's what we pay you for. You're the pastor, right? This week I posted a, a quote from J.D. Greer. It's going to be on the screen behind me. He wrote this in his book, Gaining and Losing. He's a pastor in North Carolina. He says, There is a widespread myth in the church that calling into ministry is a secondary experience that happens to only a few Christians. Their job is to do the ministry, and everyone else's job is just to show up and foot the bill. Few lives cripple the mission more than that one. Each believer is called to leverage his or her life for the spread of the gospel. The question is no longer whether we are called, only where and how. See, it's not my job as a pastor to do to involve myself in the mission of God. It's my task as a believer in Christ to involve myself in the mission of God. My job, my vocation, my calling is to come here in church and to lead a congregation and lead a people to get deeper into the Word of God, to, get, to draw deeper into a relationship with Him, to get deeper into we can make an impact in the world together. That's my job as a pastor. My task as a believer is to join God in his mission, to get involved in people's lives, where I work, where I shop, where I eat, where I play, where I live. To love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love my neighbor as myself. To live life on life in community and to serve my community, locally and globally. That's joining in the mission of God. Getting involved. So when Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, he had no idea what was in store. Three years of learning what was coming. Three years ahead of surrender. At the foot of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus, learning from the master, learning from the rabbi what it really meant. See, we as believers... 
We have all been called by God. He has chosen you. If you are His child, He has chosen you to become an active part in His mission. You have been chosen by God to become involved, to get involved. And since you have been called, since you have been led by God and chosen by Him, here's some questions. If you're in the, for those in the business world, maybe ask yourself, why did God make me good at business? Is it just to fill up my life with kids and creature comforts and spend the next 20 years, last 20 years of your life on vacation? Why did God make you good at what you're good at? Why did God make you good at what you're good at? Is it just to fill your house full of stuff? To drive a nice car? To get that nice house? And put as much away as you can so that in retirement years you can just travel and enjoy your life for the last 25, 30 years of your life. Is that what this is all about? If you're a stay-at-home mom, ask yourself this. What role do I play in advancing the mission of God as I raise my kids, as I teach my kids, as I model for them a Christ-like attitude? What role do I play in the mission of God? We all have a role to play. What about if you're a retiree or a grandparent? I don't have that first finger, David. Yeah, I don't have a job anymore. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You may not have a job where you go to 9 to 5 or 6 to 12, 6 to 8, whatever it is you used to go to, but you do have a job. Maybe ask yourself this, what role do I play in the mission with my church, in my family, in my community around me? What role do I have to come and get on my knees? Remember this past Christmas we were talking about the, the widow Anna, who for 84 years, or 84 years of age, rather, was in the temple, day in and day out, praying and ministering in the temple for what was going on. Well, Pastor, I don't have anything I can do. I I don't go to, I don't have people I associate with that first finger that worked that job. You do have a job. And God's inviting you to get involved in the mission of Him, His mission wherever He has placed you. There's a job for each and every one of us. And those same questions could be asked no matter what your job is. Whether you're in the military, your fire department, teacher, a nurse, a student, or a soccer player, soccer coach. No matter what it is, God has a job for you. And it's our, up to us to ask the question, how can I, in my vocation, in this thing where God has placed me, how can I get involved in the mission of God right there? How great would it be, have been for Matthew if he had, from the very beginning, said, I want to serve my people, I want to serve the community, and yes, I have to collect taxes, but I'm going to be satisfied with this small salary I'm getting from that, and I'm going to treat my people fairly. What kind of testimony would that have been in the scheme of things there in Galilee and Jerusalem? So I'm going to honor God by treating my people fairly. The word vocation is kind of interesting. We talked about our vocations. You know the word voca is a Latin word call. So we need to start seeing our vocation as our calling from God. You work behind a desk? Great. Guess who called you to sit there? You work on an oil field? Great. 
Guess who called you to go work there? You were out driving around all day long? Great. Guess who called you to go work there? Guess your vocation. That's your calling. That's where God has placed you. My vocation is a pastor. That's my calling to pastor and to minister and to do what I'm doing. But even beyond that, my calling is to serve God in my community where he has placed me. God didn't just say, get in line. He says, follow me. He didn't say, change your life. Get it all together, then come. He says, follow me just as you are. He didn't tell Matthew, you come, you go offer sacrifices, you go and you present yourself before the, the priests, and you go and offer these alms and all these, do all these things, and then you come follow me. He said, Matthew, you come follow me just as you are. Whatever knowledge you have of God, you bring it with you. Whatever desire you have, whatever your insecurities are, whatever your failings are, you come bring those with you and you follow me. He didn't ask Matthew to change first. He said, you follow me. Because Jesus knew once you follow Jesus, once you follow him, change would take place. Once we begin to follow Jesus, change will take place. We can't stay the same. Because once you meet Jesus, and he begins a radical transformative process in our lives that we can't deny. Change will take place. Matthew was on the top of the world, had a great job, but he had just been invited to become part of something bigger. The invitation was a bit vague in details, but Matthew's hope is that he was going to become part of something even bigger than what he was doing right there. Jesus was calling him. You know, a couple things must have entered his mind as he was... Is that too small? I'm sorry, I apologize. A couple things must have entered his mind when Jesus walked up. Remember, he was the one who wrote the book of Matthew. That's why it's named after him. Verse 9, he said, you know, Jesus says, Matthew writes, as he was going from there. Jesus could have gone anywhere he wanted, but Jesus left the house and walked to Matthew's booth. As Jesus was leaving one place and going to another, he came directly to Matthew. He didn't go by turn left or right. Jesus had a purpose, and that purpose was to invite Matthew. And then in verse 2 and 6, Matthew records this. He says, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. How did he know that? He was, was he listening in? Was he following the crowd? Was he listening to what was going on? And Jesus says, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority in order to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Rise, take up your bed, and go home. Maybe in the back of Matthew's mind, he's thinking, Wow, if that man could really forgive that person's sins, could he also forgive mine? Could he do something for me as well, but yeah, he's, he's the rabbi. I'm just a tax collector. He's not going to come to me. What does Jesus have? To, what do I have that Jesus wants, this rabbi? I've heard a lot about him, but surely he doesn't, he's not going to do anything. He's coming this way. I'm put my head down so maybe I'm looking busy. There's a shadow in front of my booth. Oh, Hi. 
follow, follow you. rabbi came to me he approached my booth invited me to just follow him become one of his followers the invitation to follow was there jesus said i invite you to become to come and follow me i invite you to become part of my mission i invite you to become part of something greater something bigger something gooder than yourself i know that's not a real word I invite you. And that's the invitation for all of us as well. And but Matthew had a decision to make. See, Jesus' invitation for him was to go from sitting in a booth to following. From sitting in a booth to following Jesus. Which meant that he had to get up off of his rear and walk outside of his booth and follow. He couldn't just follow and stay right where he was. He had to get up Get off his stool, stop sitting, and start following. For us, that's the invitation as well. To stop sitting and start following. I love the end of verse 9. It says, as as soon as Jesus said, follow me, it says, and he rose up and followed him. And he rose up and he followed him. Immediately, that's the, the, the intimation there is that Matthew immediately was like, whoa, this guy, this rabbi wants me. And he immediately gets up off of his stool, shuts the doors, and he follows Jesus down the street to find out what's going to go on. And what's the first thing he do, do? What's the first thing he do, does do? Thank you. The first thing he does, he invites a whole bunch of people over to his house. And they have dinner together. See, that calling in your life might be uncomfortable. What Jesus is asking you to do might push you outside the box. It might make you go where you don't want to go. But in the end, as like Matthew found out, you'll be joining a much bigger mission than you could ever have imagined. And then when you bring people together, did, did Matthew have all the answers? No. Matthew didn't know squat. He didn't know anything. He was merely bringing people together to hear from this rabbi. In verse 10, what does it say? What were they doing? And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. The first thing Matthew does is invite a whole bunch of people that he knows, the ones he hangs out with on a regular basis, says, come on, we're going to have a barbecue. Come on, we're going to have brats and hamburgers. I want you to meet somebody. I want you to meet somebody that's doing this, told me just to come follow him. Well, who is he? I don't know. Is he selling oils? Is he some health food nut? Is he, is he going to throw a candle party? What's he doing? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not getting anything out of it. I just want you to come meet this guy. He's awesome. He's different. I heard him say he could forgive sins. What? Come in here. And then they're sitting, reclining together at the table. It says in verse 11, When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Who are the ones upset? 
the religious, the knowledgeable, those who carried themselves with dignity. Matthew was all about just, I want you to come meet this guy. I want to come introduce you to somebody who has told me to come follow him. What does that mean? I have no idea. I'm just going to do it. Because he, he invited me. He took time in my life and he invited me to come follow him. See, Matthew, he began the, Matthew began with his present relationships where he worked, where he shopped, where he ate, where he played, where he lived. He began with those relationships. He invited them to come and meet Jesus and let Jesus take care of the rest. He didn't have the answers. So I want you to come and meet my friend. I want you to come meet this person that I just met today, but he seems to have it all together. He knows a thing or two about God, and he seems to know a thing or two about forgiveness, and I definitely don't want to live the rest of the way I am right now. I want to be a part of something bigger and greater and join him in that mission. Come in here. How tough is that? See, we are being invited to join in that same, the very same mission. Now, when you commit to that, three things are going to happen. God's going to transform how you use your resources. See, if when the first thing that happens when you commit to following Jesus is this no longer becomes yours. Uh, this no longer becomes yours. Uh, this no longer becomes yours. The place you live no longer becomes yours. It all becomes God's. He's going to transform the way that you view and the way you use your resources because now we're a part of something bigger. We're a part of something greater that we can contribute our resources that God has already given to us. We can give it back to Him and become a part of what He's doing around the world. The missionaries that we support, almost 30 missionaries now, that we support on a monthly basis, we are a part of what they are doing in Zambia. We're a part of what they're doing in Botswana. We're part of what they're doing in Ethiopia. We're part of what they're doing in South Korea. We're part of what they're doing in England. We're part of what they're doing in Scotland. We're part of what they're doing in Greece. We're part of what they're doing in Portugal. We have a part in those ministries because we view our resources not as ours, but as God's. And I don't, unlike me having to pay my taxes on April 15th, I now willingly give of my resources. I give of my time. I give of my talents to serve a greater mission, to serve the mission of God. Secondly, God's going to transform how you see your relationships. See, none of our relations, none of our friendships, or even our acquaintances are accidental. Those people that work next to you in your office were placed there by God. Or God placed you in that office. That person who moved in across the street or down the street or behind you was not an accident. God placed them there so that you could get involved in their lives and join in His mission in reaching them. When we, view our, when we commit ourselves to Christ and joining Him in His mission, all these relationships, these things that we thought were just people we used to were run into on, regular ba- on, on a cons- semi-consistent basis, those people you happen to run into, the same person you go to every week at King Supers, you go to that same cashier, your same cashier, same cashier, because she's got a nice smile or he's a nice person, and you like the way they treat you, do you think it's an accident? There's a Korean lady down here at this King Super. Every time I walk in, I talk to her in Korean, and she's like, 
She forgets every time I, every once in a while, she says, oh, yeah, you're the guy who speaks, the, the white guy who speaks Korean. Yeah, I'm the white guy who speaks Korean. You're that white guy who likes kimchi. Yes, I'm the white guy who loves kimchi. And then, I, and then we have a conversation and we talk and it gives the opportunities to invest in and get involved in our lives uh, to invite her on mission. This past week at work, I was in some store and ran into a guy and we got started talking. He asked me a couple questions. And said, I, I work for Nabisco. I'm sorry, I don't work for the store. And as my normal line is, I'm, I'm there early. And he's asking for some something. And I have no idea where it's at at Walmart. I only know my little section. We got to talking and he says, well, I just moved up here from Dallas. Really? We just moved up from Dallas. Where'd you live? Well, I lived in Arlington. I lived in Richardson. I lived in this city and this city. And uh, I just moved up here a couple weeks ago. And I uh, got to talk. And I said, yeah, well, I, I, I do this part-time. I've pastored a church full-time. Really? You pastor a church? I'm looking for a church. Well, really? Where do you live? Well, I live down in Denver. Good. That's only 15 minutes away. And I can't, these little cards I carry with me. Y'all seen these, right? I've talked about them before. Well, God, I can't be there this Sunday, but I'll be there next Sunday. Well, you, you don't look, you're not white, you're, you look Asian. What, what's your nationality? I'm thinking maybe he's Korean or Chinese. I, I have a hard time telling. And he said, no, I'm Vietnamese. Well, do you speak Vietnamese? No, I don't speak any Vietnamese. I said, your family hates that, don't they? Yeah, they do. <laughs> I was raised in this country. I don't speak Vietnamese. I said, well, I speak four languages. I speak English and Spanish and Korean and Chinese. You speak other languages? <laughs> yeah. Just conversation, 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 building those, building blocks. When I was in school, one of my professors said, think of it like a ladder. On ladder, you have what? Rungs on the ladder, right? Going up as you go up the ladder. Imagine your conversations, imagine your relationships as you're, every time you, you build that little deeper relationship, you're moving rungs on a ladder, rungs on a ladder, getting deeper and deeper, making those connections. Really, you're from Dallas. My daughter was born in Arlington. Arlington, I, was, I lived in Arlington for a while. Really, my wife's from Grand Prairie. Oh, that's in Dallas? Yeah, think connections, connections, connections. It's not hard. It just takes practice. Everybody you run into, everybody you, that lives next to you, that works next to you, God is placed there for a reason so that you can have a relationship with them, so you can join them, join God in his mission in reaching them and helping them to draw into a closer relationship with him. Committing to God means we're going to change the way we view our relationships. It also means that God's going to transform how I respond to ridicule. You ever notice that the world doesn't like who we serve, who we worship? The world doesn't like this book. You're too judgmental. Ever notice that they like to tease and joke about what we believe? There's no different. Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, where they were sitting and who was at the table, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is your teacher, why are you, asso- why are you guys associated? Don't you know who those people are? How we respond to ridicule changes. See, not everybody is going to be happy with your decision to get on board with, your, with mission of God. Maybe it's your family. Oh, you're just that Bible thumper, aren't you? Yeah. You, got, you just dove right in, head first. You drunk the Kool-Aid. 
Not everybody's going to be happy when you commit to following and getting involved in the mission. Pharisees didn't like rubbing elbows with sinners. And when we go on mission with God, we will begin to rub elbows with a different sort of person. In fact, we're going to become a different sort of person. We'll begin to see the world with a different set of eyes. But it begins with saying, God, I'm going to join you. His invitation is there for us. He says, follow me. He doesn't give us a lot of details. He doesn't promise us easy life. But he does say, if you follow me, I will be with you. If you come and join me on my mission, I will, be a, I will go with you. We're, you'll never be alone. And you'll have a community to support you and encourage you in that. And you can strengthen one another. It's called the church. But as we come together to become something greater than what we can do by ourselves. There's a website out there called howitshouldhaveended.com. Some of you may have seen it. It takes modern movies and it tweaks the ending of all these movies to make them funny, more logical. Sometimes movies are not very, have, are not very logical. They have, as my daughters like to say, they have a lot of plot holes. So this site, it's funny, it takes, takes a lot of these movies and it recreates the ending. For example, one of my favorite movies, Star Wars, the original Star Wars, original number one. You ever wonder why the end of Star Wars when they, this Death Star is coming toward the moon, why the Empire doesn't just blow up the moon and then blow up the rebel base on the other side? Well, that's what happens in how it should have ended. Why do they traverse around the moon to get to the rebel base? And so we could spend an extra 30 minutes watching, watching the end. How could your life end if you decide to get on mission with God? Verse 12 gives us a clue. Right after the Pharisees say, why does your teacher eat it with tax collectors and sinners? What is Jesus' answer? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. How could your life be transformed if we commit to following God and say, God, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what you're going to do in my life, but I'm going to follow you because I know there's a world out there that, needs, that is sick and needs a doctor, and you are that physician. And I want to be part of that. I want to be, be a part of taking that cure to the world, to getting involved and jumping in to becoming a part of the mission of God. See, my hope is this morning before you leave here, you take that next step and say, God, I'm going to join you. God, I'm committing no matter where I'm at in my life. I could be just starting my career. I could be ending my career. I could just be starting my life. I could be close to ending my life. Wherever I'm at in that continuum, God, I'm going to start today. I'm going to commit my life to you and follow you no matter what. To jump on board with that mission. To not live my life the same. What is Jesus' mission? He's a spiritual doctor, rescuing physically, rescuing the physically and spiritually wounded and sick people. That means he came for you and for me. He didn't come to judge or pile on rules that we could never attain. 
He came to set us free. He came to set us free and to take that freedom to the world. So we may think that this book is all about rules and regulations and a bunch of do's and don'ts and don'ts and don'ts and don'ts, but I found that if you spend more time doing the do's, you don't have time to don't do the don'ts. Think about that. That'll twist your mind for a minute. If you spend all your time doing the do's, you don't have time to don't do the don'ts. Jesus came to set us free. He came to set us free from our sins. He came to set us free from ourselves. He came to set us free from those obligations that we pour on ourselves so that we can join Him in helping the world be free as well. It's simple. It's simple. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When He approached the crazy man in Gettarees and the tombs, he set him free from the bondage. He set him free from those, the legion of demons that were inside of him. And when the man came to him and said, I want to follow you, Jesus says, no, you want to follow me? You go back to your city and you tell them about what God has done for you. I know you want to follow me, but I've got something greater in store for you. I'm going to give you one message. You go and tell the people in your city what God did for you. Did he know all the ins and outs and all the theological implications of everything? No. He simply told the people what he knew. God had freed me from these demons. He can do the same for you. Let's close our, bow your heads and close your eyes. This morning as we close, <coughs> God has One request of you as well. He says, follow me. His invitation to you is to follow him. Maybe there might be someone in this room that would say, Pastor, I, I, I hear them, hear that message, and, but I've never followed him even the first time. And this morning, Pastor, I want to follow him. I want to know what it means to follow Jesus. I want to know what it means to have this my sins removed from my life and to follow him to live my life and commit my life to him. I want to, if that's you, I want to pray for you this morning. If you slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm in that category. I, I, I want to follow him for the very first time. I want to live my life. I want to have be free of my sins. I don't know what that means. I don't know what the future holds. But I want to follow him. Just lift up your hand so I can pray for you. maybe you're in another category this morning and say, Pastor, I, I became a believer, I became a Christian years ago, but I've been living my life for myself and I, I've never really gotten on board with the mission of God. But I understand that He's calling me. He says, follow me. And I don't know what that means for me. Maybe I'm, I'm afraid that He's going to call me to Africa. He's going to lead me to Africa. He's going to lead me to some jungle where I'm never going to be able to be around anybody. I don't know what the future holds. But I'm willing to say this morning, I'm going to get on board with the mission of God and follow Him. And if that's you this morning, would you lift your hand up so I can pray for you as well? I want to get on board with the mission of God and follow Him. Thank you. Lord God, you saw the hands this morning. You know men's hearts. 
as we come before you this morning, God, committing, recommitting ourselves to you, say, God, I'm jumping on board. This mission is greater, it's bigger than me. This task I had before me to get involved in people's lives where I work, where I shop, where I eat, where I play, where I live. God, I realize that you have placed us on this time in history to make a difference, to make an impact in this community. To go and tell the good news. Maybe we don't have all the answers, but we tell what we know that there is a God, a God who loves us, a God who died for us. He forgave me of my sins so I could live for him. It's that simple. This morning, God, as we close out our worship service, we want to honor you and glorify you and lift up your name because you have invited us to join you in this great journey participate in this journey of life. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.